We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this episode of Academy Queens. It's so weird to say not this week's episode. To this episode of Academy Queens, I want my mommy. My mommy. Please give me my mommy. I'm Joey Gentile. And I'm going to ignore you because you're ignorant. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the men of 2020. Wow, it has felt like a minute since I had to say all that, and I'm very surprised I did not um, stumble that intro. Two claps for me. There it is. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to talk about. Um, There's some really fun performances this year, and um, just this year in general was just, you know, unique and kind of wild and um, comes with its own little set of controversies and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to diving in here and being like officially caught up with the Oscars. We are caught up. That's crazy. That's crazy. And this is, uh, an episode where, uh, cause the last one we did together for the recent was we were together and we had Ryan McQuaid guesting with us and we had Ryan McQuaid's fists guesting with us. (laughs) Yes, he was very passionate, and he kept punching my dining room table as he spoke. Which was crazy, because I don't feel like either of us, at least I didn't, notice that while we were recording, because he just does that anyway. Like, even notice it until I listen back to it, and I'm like, oh my god. I did make a mental note of it while we were recording, but for some reason I didn't say anything. I was just like, because I do the editing and stuff, and so I was like, oh, is that going to be a problem? But for some reason I just didn't say anything because I'm just too polite, I guess. And then later I'm in the edit, and I'm like, oh, god damn it. It, it is a little bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that. But um, this is a year that never fucking ends because here we are talking about it again. <laughs> Oh God! But this is it. Once we t- once we're done talking about the dudes here, we could stop talking about the fucking 2020 Oscars. Yeah, the uh, the Oscars that that won't die. Won't fucking die. Um, Brandon, controversies this year and some I told you so moments coming from not towards you, but you know towards. A lot of Oscar people. Um, so I'm going to pretty much boast about that one. But how are you expecting this to go? What are you thinking? Like, are you thinking it's going to be one of those moments when the nominations came out and we text each other with supporting, like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with that episode? Or do you think this is going to be one of those, like, aha moments where we surprise each other with where we're going? Um. I'm thinking a little bit of both. Uh, I remember us texting on the morning of when the nominations were announced uh, because there there were a couple um, surprises there, uh, surprising a surprising name or two that was read off, and we were like, oh, how are we going to approach this? 
And um, there's some other like questionable borderline performances. Um, I'd say like in the supporting lineup, there's only like one person who I've never seen anyone question their category placement. I think the other four there, I've at least seen one person online in our little bubble uh, question uh, the possible fraudulence of them. So um, not sure where you'll land on a couple of these, but uh, looking forward to diving into that. Yeah, I, I will say like there, I'm still debating on if I'm going to do something that I've never done on this show before with one of these categories. <laughs> but I, I, I like don't know if that's fair to the listeners or myself or you. So I'm just going to say if it happens, it's going to happen in the moment. So I'm just giving you guys a warning. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, quite interesting to see what's going to happen here. Um, um, with that said, who do you think I'm going to pick? I'm going to say in lead Anthony Hopkins and for some reason in supporting, see, that's the trickier one because I don't really know where, I honestly don't know where a couple of these go. And I'm just going to say for right now, Leslie Odom Jr. Okay. All right. Um, I think you'll go Paul Racy in supporting, and uh, I strictly remember you feeling as a whole the father is very much your shit, but I'm also very tempted to say Stephen Yun for you. Either one. I, it's Hopkins or Yun, but I'm going to stick with Hopkins, but I do want it noted. I'm so close to just switching that real quick for you, but no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Hopkins. Okay, very good. All right, all right. Shall we just dive right in? Sure. Um, your nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in 2020 slash, I guess, 2021, sort of, were? Lakeith Stanfield, Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> Lakeith, with such power... You gave us an experience of what it is when citizens are betrayed by their own country, and while grappling with morality, they must fight to survive. Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah. Daniel, hi. <laughs> I just wanna say thank you, because with your extraordinary commitment, and your endless research, you did, in fact, beautifully get within the man. And I have been listening to you speak of your inspiration in Denzel Washington's performance in Malcolm X. And just to say how grateful we are for the inspiration you gave us with not only the role, but the words you shared and the reminder that you can't murder freedom. Thank you. To Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami. <laughs> Leslie, the gorgeous weight of responsibility that you carried in these discussions in and around advancing social justice. It captured our hearts forever, as did your chilling gift of bringing Sam Cooke back to us. Thank you. Paul Racy, 
Sound of Metal. Paul, growing up as a hearing person with deaf parents, I know you made such a tireless commitment to expand the narrowed perspective of uh, deaf characters in film. And with this brilliant performance, you gave us the opportunity to truly understand what inclusivity means. And we are so lucky. Thank you. And to Sasha Baron Cohen, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Sasha, I, with your perfect portrayal of the yippie iconoclast Abby Hoffman, you also imbued your own extraordinary activist instincts. I was stunned, I don't know if anybody else was, that you'd be attracted to playing such a disruptor. It's so unlike you to rock the boat. But that's why they call it act. These are the nominees for best actor in a supporting role. All right, so let's uh, start off with our winner for the year, Daniel Kaluuya, winning for Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, this is his second of two nominations, and uh, so far his only win. And going into this, he was uh, pretty much a formidable force when it comes to the precursors, because he takes the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, the Black Reel Award, and the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics. And he doesn't really lose any of the majors going into this. So he was a, a pretty sure bet, about as sure as one can be, I suppose. And uh, in Judas and the Black Messiah, he plays Fred Hampton, a young, charismatic leader of the Black Panther Party of Illinois. So how do you feel about his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah? So as a whole, Judas and the Black Messiah, I wasn't like a huge fan of the film. Um, I also have I mentioned, like, I liked the movie better when it was called The Departed, um, which is not, like, a shady thing towards it, because uh, Shaka King, I think, believe is the director's name of this film, and he's even gone on record saying that it pretty much is The Black Departed. Um, but for what The Departed did that Judas didn't was take an, the story and make it interesting. There's just a whole lot of talking with not a whole lot of... Um, with a whole lot of, uh, there, there, there's a whole lot of story here without any, I don't want to say the word action, but a lot of things to do. Um, obviously there's the ending there, which happens, which by the way, if you, if you're listening to this, you haven't seen it now, spoiler alert, but you've also had time. So I don't care. You know, when everyone gets shot up at the end or even the big shootout in the street, that's pretty much like all that happens in this movie. Um, when it comes to things getting done, it is more of a character driven piece, but it's just, I don't know, it's really boring. Um, the performances do save it. And that's where Kaluuya and we'll talk about Stanfield um, really come into play here. Um, but Kaluuya is very much in the realm of. Uh, this movie with its messaging. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, it's no, it's no fucking surprise by now by saying this. So it's not like, you know, going to give it away, but Fred Hampton is the black Messiah. He is the titular role. And, you know, granted, I've been on record before too, just because your titular role doesn't always make you, um, the lead, uh, it, perfect example, which I always go to, is Vanessa Redgrave in Julia. But 
he is a leading role here. I mean, he, without Fred Hampton in this movie, this movie can't work. It, it, it's not a thing. Um, there's zero reason why Daniel Kaluuya was this strong of a contender and couldn't be put in lead. That, I mean, it's just fucking ridiculous. Um, he's so good. And it's it, it, it's not even that I think he's bad. It's just like putting him in supporting is a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face to his work. He should not have swept this. Um, this is just bad taste on the winning, the people who voted because like, honestly, if uh, that's just how I feel, if you're a lead role, you're that good. And you, uh, you honor someone supporting it's a slap in the face. Um, don't do that. Stop doing that. Fucking stop putting people in the wrong category because he deserved to be in lead and period, just period. But yeah, he's really good here. I just hate that he's in the wrong category. What about you? I think he's quite good in Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, he has a commanding presence in this film, which is absolutely necessary, considering who he's playing. Um, when Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton is up on stage behind a podium with a microphone in front of him, he is um, that magnetic force that you can't look away from. Uh, you will hear every single syllable that comes out of his mouth because that's the kind of power that he has. And in that regard, this is a completely successful performance. Um, I, I do concur. Um, you know, it's no secret. This is pretty, pretty good case of category fraud or bad case, however you want to word it. Um, he, this is a two-hander between, uh, Kaluuya and the next actor we're going to be talking about and, um, with, with a supporting cast. I mean, you, I can't really fathom this getting the ensemble argument because no one is on their level. Um, this is very much the story of these two guys, um, with a supporting cast around them. And, um, that's too bad because I, I kind of wonder, um, I don't know if anyone asked this question in the 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 AQ Twitter, but I kind of wonder if he had been placed in lead, if he would have been a threat possibly to win this. There seemed to be a desire to give it to him. Uh, Kaluuya uh, appears to be a very respected actor, and he is quite good in just about everything that I've seen him in, and um, kind of just makes you wonder how it would have played out. He might, I don't think he would have swept in the way that he did um, being placed in this category, but um, I'm sure he would have gotten at least a precursor or two, if not the Oscar. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of makes you wonder about that alternate universe, uh, what it looks like. When it comes to the sweeping, though, I, you know, I don't think the precursors really vote on taste. Um, a lot of them, maybe some do. There's some folks with principles who really, you know, vote based on what they like, what they think is the greatest achievement or, you know, what is the moment. But you know, kind of like we say with particularly the, the Critics' Choice Awards, I think a lot of these folks are just trying to jump on some kind of bandwagon and they're more interested in how their winners or their choices are perceived than, um, you know, being true to one's own self. But uh, I think it's a perfectly worthy performance based on the merits of the performance itself. The the category is really just, you know, the thing that, that takes this down a, a notch or two for me. Yeah, um, we do have a question, but it involves Lakeith, so I will wait until we go over Lakeith, and then I'll bring that question in. Okay. Uh, do you want me to just rope in Lakeith now? That way we can sort of talk about them together? Yeah, sure. 
So yeah, our next um, nominee is Lakeith Stanfield. Um, this is his first and only Oscar nomination as of now. He doesn't really show up with the precursors, but he does get a nomination with the Black Reel Awards in their their equivalent of the lead category. And um, in Judas and the Black Messiah, Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, a man who is coerced by the FBI to infiltrate the Black Panther Party so as to spy on Fred Hampton, uh, basically because the, Fred, the feds were afraid of this community organization that only sought to feed children, provide medical care and legal aid and transportation services and free shoes to poor black people because the feds thought all those things would jeopardize white supremacy in America or something. So how do we feel about Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah? <laughs> LOL, just you like describe it or something. Like, like <laughs> love your description there. Um, okay, <laughs> what a thrill. <laughs> what a complete, shocker of a nomination for everyone involved make this make sense how the fuck did this happen there were there oh God. this might be even more of a shocker than marina de tavira getting in or jackie weaver getting in for silver linings or just like fucking Dan O'Harely for Robinson Crusoe. I mean, I don't know how this happened. No one does. And it's interesting because there were rumors coming out of the Academy that they were going to rescind this nomination, apparently, which I don't know if is out there in the public. But, um, because and someone was going, like, okay, so there was a cryptic tweet that I had tweeted, um, Right after the nominations, like, um, what, what what was that movie, the You're Alone But Not Alone or whatever, that movie that had gotten that nomination for a song a couple years ago, and then they rescinded it because there was instant talk about how did this happen, not even the people from, like, the Academy understood, and they started, like, looking into it, um, but with everything going on, they decided not to, so I don't know if that had ever come out publicly or not, but again, that was through, like, connection talk um so it would have been really interesting to see how that would have gone down because no one understands how this happened um with that said uh, he's great <laughs> he is absolutely wonderful um i will say this right off the bat because you know he is a lead so we all know what's happening i think he's miles above daniel kaluuya he is so much better um than him in the this film and that's on a personal level um and here's the thing i'm gonna bring this up one more time to make this as clear as day with what i was saying um during you know over twitter during this despite kaluuya now if you were going to go by statistics stanfield had the best shot to win this award um despite kaluuya winning precursors stanfield had a statistic that daniel didn't and obviously this was a year that statistics completely did not fucking uh, come into play here. But here's why. The Academy in its history three times has switched a performer from their campaigned category into the other one. And out of those three times, the three being uh, Keisha Castle Hughes for Whale Rider. She was campaign supporting. They put her lead. 
Kate Winslet for the reader. She was campaigned uh, supporting. They put her lead. And Jennifer Connelly, who was campaign lead, they put supporting. Out of those three times, two of the three won the Oscar. So here's Stanfield with a very rare feat from the Academy. And then that very rare feat, two times out of its three times, that person won. So Stanfield had a 75% chance of winning the award based off of that statistic alone. That put him at a greater position than Kaluuya. You can disagree, and I'm not saying you, Brandon, you might, that's fine, but you as a listener can disagree with that. It doesn't matter if you think it's true or not. It's true. So that's why I was like, watch out for Stanfield possibly winning here because he has the greatest shot as of now. Um, but yeah, I think in the film, he is great. I, I find his character a lot more interesting. He is the Judas in the Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, so it is a great nomination in the long run. But God damn, did I love the shock that this lasted still to this day from the nomination day. Um, what about you? What do you think? You know, uh, two-time uh, Oscar-winning screenwriter William Goldman once said about Hollywood, nobody knows anything. And I'm pretty sure at the time he was specifically referring to nobody knows what will be a hit, but I think it kind of applies in all different areas. And um, award season is one of them. Um, Statistics are statistics for a reason, Um, but statistics are made to be broken. And this year, especially um, no one really knew anything. And uh, that's kind of what made part of this all a little bit exciting. Um, Cause maybe uh, Stanfield could have pulled it out. Who knows? Uh, I'd really be curious as to where he fit in the um, in the polling. Um, I would imagine he wasn't fifth, and maybe not even fourth. I would imagine he might have had a sizable um, following, considering he did get in here um, with very little. But um, I actually think his performance is the more interesting one of the two, because I think his performance um, as Bill is the harder one to pull off. Like, it takes a certain gravitas, grandeur, to do the Fred Hampton part, obviously. Um, it's not, that's no easy feat. But to do something that's more introspective and a little bit quieter and a little more sneaky while still commanding just as much um, attention is hard. And uh, Lakeith Stanfield never really gets lost for me in the Fred Hampton of it all. You know, um, a lesser actor might um, have been uh, belittled or um, pushed to the side or forced into the background because Kaluuya is just so much and appropriately so. But um, I never get that from Stanfield. Um, There's like an intricacy to his performance that um, always seemed to catch my eye. And I really dig that he was nominated for this. I think it's great. Um, you know, like uh, Hampton, I think it sh- ought to be in the other category if he were to be, you know, uh, nominated. But um, I really dig that he was able to clinch it. And it was for a performance as um, low-key as this. Um, we seldom sort of get these low-key performances uh, from men uh, nominated here. So um, I really kind of dig it. Yeah, I, I definitely think there is more for him to do as well than Daniel Kaluuya, because Daniel Kaluuya in this film always has to be at a 10. You know what I mean? Like, 
even when he's not saying something, his body language is at a 10. When he's talking, he's at a 10. To where Lakeith Stanfield definitely has to hit the spectrum of emotion and intensity throughout the whole thing, starting at a 1 up to a 10. So, you know, just there alone, he's showing a lot more range than Kaluuya in this in this film, and I dig that. Um, we do have a question from Andrew Carden. What's up, Andrew? Um, so this is hard because, Andrew, love you, but your question isn't very specific. So I, I'm going to have to say what it is and then reword it a little bit for us to answer this. But who wins supporting actor if both Kaluuya and Sanfield are instead pushed lead? So I'm I am interpreting this question as out of the remaining three, but does this question include that like if Jared Leto's in it, if Clark Peters is in this, if you know, um, uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman from Defy Bloods is in this? I mean, what are we looking at here? Um, Brandon, do you want to start on this one? Uh, sure. I t- I took the question as meaning um, of the remaining three because we simply don't know. Um, who the other two would have been. I mean, we we can use the statistics to uh, to speculate, but um, we, we truly don't know um, who those uh, replacements would have been. So I guess going off of who we have, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I mean, Leslie Odom Jr. has the song as well, which could have been a boost for him or also could have, you know, been a hindrance uh, as like, you know, a consolation prize, which he ultimately didn't end up winning anyway, which is really interesting. And, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is um, a very well-known person who's having a year with Borat 2 and Trial of Chicago 7s and Best Pictures. So, you know, a lot of people saw it. And then Paul Racy's this dude who kind of just came out of nowhere. And um, I'm, I'm sure there was a certain faction of the Academy that loved this performance. And, you know, Sound of Metal was also a pretty heavy hitter with the uh, with the Oscars. So I honestly don't know. For some reason, I kind of want to say it was Paul Racy. Just, you know, to go with uh, The Outsider. Maybe maybe he would have had a, a following in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I guess for now I'm just going to say Paul Racy. I would have to agree with Paul Racy here because, and I said this on the episode of 2018 with Eric Anderson, which I know he agreed with me on. We always need to watch out for the people who pop in there with real no precursor support because it shows that there are people in the Academy who really enjoy the performance and it was enough to get the nomination as the nomination is always the hardest thing to get more than the win. So with that said, I would have to say Paul Racy because Racy just really went off of internet hype, which is fantastic to see. Um, but it is, it makes me wonder that he was probably second place here actually, um, because of the fact again that he came in this category. And I mean, if anyone came out of nowhere in this category, it's the Keith. But if you're taking those two out to answer Andrew's question, Paul Racy. I wouldn't say Paul Racy came out of nowhere. He actually did have quite a few precursors, more than I remembered uh, when I went to go do the notes for this. Um, on paper, it looks like he might have been the one to dethrone um, Kaluuya. I mean, we'll get to it in a little bit, but he actually has more precursor recognition than I recalled. Uh, I'll be interested to hear that because I'm not I'm not just 
discrediting you or, you know, but I just outside of Critics' Choice and Independent Spirit, I'm like, what else did he have? Mm -hmm. So I'm interested. Okay. Well, I guess I'll just jump to Paul Racy since we were on uh, that trend here. Um, This is uh, Paul Racy's first and only nomination for The Sound of Metal. Going into this, uh, he racks up quite a few wins with um, regional critic awards. And he also has the Spirit Award, as well as the National Board of Review and the National Society of Film Critics. And he's nominated um, with BAFTA, um, Los Angeles Film Critics, AARP, and Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics. So he didn't come into this with nothing. Um, So uh, definitely had more than um, some others nominated here. And in Sound of Metal, he plays Joe, the overseer of a small community for deaf people. And he becomes a mentor to Riz Ahmed's Ruben. So how do you feel about Paul Racy here? I really don't like Sound of Metal. It, it's just a movie. It doesn't do it for me. Um, I think it's a very well-made movie, but it's not something that I w- ever would have watched and been like, Oscars, Oscars, Oscars. And the thing is, is... I remember, I remember like starting to see all this hype for it and I just couldn't understand it. So I had rewatched it before the nominations had come out and I got, you know, the, the aspect of the filmmaking done or filmmaking, like more of an appreciation for it and was like noticing more things that I hadn't seen in the first viewing and I got, I understood it a little bit more. But the one thing I just didn't understand was Paul Racy's nomination. I love when the Oscars give someone who we didn't know about a couple months beforehand and really puts them into the stardom of the uh the, the acting world in Hollywood and Paul Racy had done really small bit parts for years. Um, this is a scenario where I'm glad he's got one, but I, I don't understand this nomination. Um, it's very subtle work, but it never, it never hits me in a way where I see more than, than what he's doing is just his job. Um, it, it, this is a very baffling nomination for me. I don't. I love that he's got it, and that maybe we'll I'll get to see more for him. But this does nothing for me. Um, this is subtle work, and it is he's there, but I'm never emotionally hit by this work like other people are, and I just don't get it. This isn't for me. But again, glad he's got it. I really dig this one. Um, the Sound of Metal is a movie that I greatly admired, but I didn't quite love it in the way that a lot of other people online um, have uh, expressed their love. I've only seen it the one time. Uh, maybe things will change um, in the future with rewatches. But what I really dug about Paul Racy's performance is not only the subtlety of it all, but the very naturalistic quality to it compared to the very formally aggressive filmmaking that's going on. Um, Cause there's, there's a lot of um, 
technical and craft manipulation happening in this movie. And I don't mean that in like a, like in a, like a cunning sort of way. I mean like the way the film tries to uh, put the audience in the perspective of Ruben, the way it plays with sound and all that. And um, there's a very con- there's very conscious choices being made from the director's chair behind the camera in the editing room. And um, compare that to Paul Racy, who is just living this character, um, I think is really cool. And it kind of elevates Racy's uh, performance for me. Um, you know, this is one of those uh, roles where I can tell that the character means a lot to the person playing it. I feel like Racy really understands this world and this uh, this person, uh, Joe. And I mean, just listening to his interviews and knowing his background, um, that's pretty obvious, considering where he came from. Um, growing up with two deaf parents, um, I think I saw somewhere where he said that American Sign Language was like his first language and English came later. Um, like that's how in tune he is with this um with this world and i think that reads on the screen and uh his sort of final moments with ruben at the table when ruben has in a way committed the ultimate betrayal um by deciding to get the cochlear implant um i found that scene so gut-wrenching uh my so my best friend is partially deaf so i've known for a while this very controversial thing within the deaf community involving cochlear implants and the way um, a lot of deaf people see it as a form of ableism and uh, like a a way of turning your back on a community. Um, So when I saw this film, I I kind of understood the, the conflict of whether or not to do the implant and what it would mean to different people and so when uh, Joe um, basically confesses how he feels about this person who he's sort of taken under his wing for a certain amount of time, um, I think it it reads. So there's a whole lot going on with this performance that really works for me. And um, I really dig it. And I'm glad that um, now Paul Racy is, you know, a, a well-known name. This is, I think, the only thing I've ever seen him in. I know he's done a lot of TV, and I've probably seen him in something, but this is the only time that I could, I've ever really, like, associated a face with a name, and um, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm interested to see um, what's what's next, what the next chapter in his uh, career looks like. Yeah, very happy for him. Like I said, I it's, I mean, they did it with Maria Bakalova and Yeon Jun Yun for American audiences, although, if, I mean, come on, if you watched Sensate, you would have seen <laughs> Yun Jung Yun by now. Uh, go watch Sensei. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I love that he's got it and good for him. And I root for him for sure. Well, next we have Le- uh, Leslie Odom Jr. nominated for One Night in Miami, dot, dot, dot. Going into this, he gets a win with uh, the Black Film Critics Circle. And he's uh, nominated with the Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics, and with the Black Reel Awards. Oh, and, and SAG. Um, in this, he plays Sam Cooke, a soul singer known as the King of Soul, 
who finds himself uh, spending a memorable evening with Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, and Jim Brown amid the civil rights movement and the cultural unrest of the era. So how do you feel about Leslie Odom Jr. in this film? I really don't like this one. Um, I don't like this movie. This movie is not an Oscar movie at all, in my opinion. I don't understand the hype that this movie got. The performances are okay. Um, I know people were like, he's a lead or this person's a lead. I'm like, no, it's an ensemble piece. It literally ties four stories from four different perspectives and four people into one. Like, get out of here with that. Um, I don't get this. Oh, God, this whole category can just suck eggs. Um, There are so many better performances that could have gotten this spot. And this is just, oh, God. I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but it's just get out of here. This is no, 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 no. I have sort of mixed feelings about the film as well. Um, I find it interesting, if nothing else. Um, I think the idea behind it is really cool. And I dig some of the performances in it. I guess Leslie Odom Jr. is the one that I found myself gravitating toward the most out of these gentlemen. Um, There's, um, you know, a certain uh, presence to him. Like, he has a stage presence, but on screen, and I really dig that. Um, That's not like a a diss, the way that some people will say there's a, a theatrical quality is a bad thing on film. I don't think that's true. But I really like what he's doing here. Um, his solo moments when we're getting like his backstory and what's going on with him on the side, um, I think add some some interesting layers to his character here. This sort of fictionalized version of Sam Cooke in this fictionalized um, uh, evening with these these four men that never really took place, at least not in this way. And it's it's just an interesting experiment. This film. And I don't mean that in like a condescending sort of way, because I, I think it is kind of cool. And, you know, I'm happy for Regina King and uh, that she got this opportunity and that she pulled it off pretty well. Um, even if it's not my favorite film of the year, I think it is at least noteworthy. Um, I'm on the fence with category placement, honestly. I feel like I feel like it goes either way, but at the very least, all the men need to be at the same level. They're either all supporting or they're either all lead. And I guess I'm okay with it either way. I feel similarly about Closer. Like, I didn't disqualify anyone from Closer because I feel like supporting's fine if they're all supporting and lead's fine if they're all lead. I don't really know what to make of four people. It doesn't seem as uh, as wide enough to be, like, a true ensemble. But it, it does, you know, even the playing field across the board amongst these four men, we get backstory from them all, and they're all relatively equal in importance. Um, so I'm not going to make a fuss out of category placement with this one. It's it it's fine for me, basically. And that was Zhivago shaking off behind me. Oh, hey, Zhivago. Did you have uh, anything else on Mr. Odom Jr.? God, no. Okay. We're just flying through the supporting men then. Because we just have uh, Sasha Baron Cohen uh, nominated here for the trial of the Chicago 7. 
Um, this is his first acting nomination, but he has two screenplay nominations under his belt as well. Um, going into this, his only uh, quasi win is the SAG Ensemble Award um, that he's a part of, and he is recognized um, as a solo performer, also with SAG, but um, with uh, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics. In uh, Trial of the, of the Chicago 7, Cohen plays Abby Hoffman, the uh, political activist who co-founded the far-left Youth International Party and was then charged with conspiracy following the protests surrounding the 1968 Democratic National Convention. So how do you feel about Sasha Baron Cohen in the trial of the Chicago Seven? I hate it. I hate it. Oh my God. Why is this our supporting lineup this year? Um, ugh. I don't get it. He, this isn't even Sasha Baron Cohen's best performance of the year. That would have been Borat. This isn't even the best performance in Chicago Seven. Personally, if you're going to nominate anyone from Chicago 7, it should have been Michael Keaton or um, Frank Langella. This is just, mm-mm, mm-mm, no ma'am, no ma'am. I, I don't understand what he thinks he's in or what the direction was given to him. Is he the comic relief of the movie? Is he the chill hippie bro of the movie am i ever supposed to take him seriously i mean how did this lifetime movie get to the oscars what happened this year i don't understand it someone make this make sense someone make any make sense uh this category to me is like the 1986 supporting actress lineup woof Yeah, I'm not crazy about this one either. Um, I don't think I would even put Sasha Baron Cohen in the top five from that film. And I don't really like that film at all. Okay, you're just going to keep making noise? Okay. And um, I don't think he was really given much direction because I don't think Aaron Sorkin can direct. Um, I think Aaron Sorkin's a writer who we have given too much power to. And um, we need to take it away. Um, it, I find his direction so uninspiring. And it's like he, he seems to think that his perfect screenplays are flawless blueprints that movies just appear from. Uh, I don't like, like Venus rising from the sea foam. Like, that's not how it works, Aaron. And uh, this movie is just so misguided, and so much of it is just. Aaron Sorkin getting on his soapbox and using these real life people who are now his his characters as his his mouthpieces. And like whenever anyone is giving a big speech, that's just Aaron Sorkin speaking through the script and through these actors. And uh, I just don't like this movie um, at all. And Sasha Baron Cohen is fine, I guess. But it's not great by any means, and I think the movie is about as mediocre as you can get, which is really sad considering how interesting this real-life event was. And I'm no you know, expert on Abby Hoffman. I will admit I didn't really know who he was prior to this movie, but it's my understanding based on you know the, the, the little research 
uh, research that I've done that he was much more radical than this movie would lead you to believe. Um, because, you know, once again, uh, this is a, a facet of Aaron Sorkin's ideology as opposed to really being true to who this person was or who I am, you know, who, who I believe this person probably was based on what I've read. Um, yeah, it's it's just misguided as a whole. And I, I don't think Sasha Baron Cohen or, or really or really anyone from that film um, had a chance considering what they were working with and who was guiding them or not guiding them. I'm not really sure how to phrase it. It's um it's a no from me. Love that journey for us right now. That just made me kindled to your spirit a little bit more. Now you have to go get the cream to make sure me, the rash gets off of your spirit. Love that. All right. So Luke, our good buddy Luke has a question that could be answered in many a ways. So who do we think was in sixth place in supporting actor. Well, I mean, you know, given, you know, the statistics, it looks like Jared Leto was on the cusp. Um, there was a lot of talk about Coleman Domingo. Um, so perhaps he was in the ballpark. Um, those are the first two names that sort of come to mind for me right now. I would have to agree. Uh, I would have to agree, English Joseph, um, that Jared Leto was probably sixth there. Um, just because, again, if you're going by stats, uh, he was essentially the surprise stat, where Lakeith was the surprise nomination. But with how much of a surprise Lakeith was, I mean, it could have been anyone and their grandmother coming into that category like literally my grandma probably was sixth for all we know um so who knows but going off of stats i'm gonna say jared leto yeah that seems about right yeah so do we have anything else before we move on to our leading lads um no <laughs> okay <laughs> moving on as a reminder, your nominees for Best Actor in a Leading Role of 2020, they were... Anthony Hopkins, the father. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Gary Oldman, Mank. All right, let's start off with Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz in Mank. This is his third of three nominations going to Ike. He has Golden Globe nominations for Actor in a Drama, Critics' Choice nomination for Actor, and SAG for Best Actor. Um, in Mank, again, Oldman plays pretty well. Oldman plays Mank in Mank. Um, it, he is the writer of the infamous movie Citizen Kane and the process of his personal life and how he got to writing it. And it's pretty much like a movie of the making of making of writing of of Citizen Kane. So um, this is directed by David Fincher. And Brandon, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not a huge fan 
Um, I think people who listened to our um, discussion of the actresses probably already guessed that. I don't think I'm giving anything away there. I'm not the biggest fan of Mank. Um, it's a film that I admire, its prowess, but I don't really connect with it. And um, I don't really connect with Gary's performance either. And considering, you know, he is uh, the titular role playing this um, very infamous, notorious figure in this era of Hollywood, you kind of need that uh, to, to be able to connect with an audience in that way. And for me, there's just a big gap between me and um, Oldman's performance. And I think he's fine. I don't really have, like, glaring issues with it. It's just kind of there for me. I'm much more interested in what's going on behind the camera and, like, in the editing suite than I am with what is actually happening on camera, like, action-wise. So it's just kind of meh for me. And, I don't know, I wish a more interesting performance could have snuck in here instead. I I love Gary Oldman as, like, a character actor. I can't fathom the amazing performances he's given us over the years. And his three Oscar nominations are three of his most mundane films and performances. That blows my mind that, like, how good of an actor he is and these are his nominations. It's almost it's like a slap in the face to Gary Oldman. I mean, come on, dude. First of all, Fincher, I don't ever think will be able, in a personal level, to top his masterpiece of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I think that was, between that and The Social Network, he had such amazing back-to-back films. And then he gives us Gone Girl and then Mank. It's like, dude, like, pull yourself together. It. I just, I don't understand how we got Mank no, no, I mean, this movie was made essentially for film Twitter, right? This is a film Twitter supposed to love film. And the fact that even film Twitter was very like, meh, on Mank, like, Mank's fan is Ryan McQuaid. <laughs> it's Ryan McQuaid and Sasha Stone. Those are Mank's biggest fans. And I love you, Ryan, but come on. Um, it's just... Oh God, it's 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 not good. It's it's very boring. I'm never connected to this character. I've never connected to this performance of this movie. I mean, who was this movie for? Was it to honor Fincher's dad, who co-wrote the script? Maybe. But did old Daddyo write a good script? Not really. So why why is this movie here? Why is this performance here? There's so many other people who could have been in this lineup. No me gusta. Yeah, I I think the movie was just made by cinema lovers for cinema lovers. I'm not going to limit it to film Twitter because, you know, that's really just like a vacuous bubble and um, a very small faction of the people who, you know, love film. Um but yeah, I have to imagine this is, you know, it, there is a personal connection there for Fincher because, you know, his father wrote the script. But I, I would imagine also on, on an artistic level, this is 
um, him making a movie for people like him, um, people who have similar interests and passions and whatnot. Um, I'm very curious what like a general audience person would make of this. I don't think I've really talked about this movie with any of like my family members or friends who are just like casual moviegoers. I'm not sure what casual moviegoers really think about this. I've only really heard what like cinephiles think of Mank. And it's kind of across the board with cinephiles, but I really want to know like what what do the normies think, you know? I don't even think they know that this movie exists. They might not. Okay, can we also for a second LOL? Didn't it win cinematography or am I making that up? Oh, I yes it did. Yeah, LOL. Yeah, it's not what I would have gone for in cinematography, but um uh you know, black and white is damn near pornographic for a for a certain set of moviegoers. So you I can mean- I I can understand why, you know, that was a why that was a win there. You make something black and white and certain people just come all over it. Uh yeah, basically. <laughs> all right. Anything else on Gary Oldman before we move on to a question? No. All right. Jeffrey Care. This is actually a really good question that had responses from other people, which I don't think that they actually thought about, but we'll see. Had Gary Oldman not won for Darkest Hour, how different do you think his status would have been in the best actor race for Mank? So I understand where the question's coming from because, you know, this is something that happens often with uh, winners in subsequent years. Um, you know, is there the the immediacy to give it to them? Is there the desire to give it to them? If if the if they'd never been given it, is there more the next time and all all that stuff? I honestly don't think it changes. Um, I if he had gone um, if he had lost for Darkest Hour, I really don't think there would be any more desire to give it to him for Mank than there already was, which seemed to be very little. Um, I think it would just be another nomination for him, and um, that's all. I agree, but I also see the other side here because, you know, we've talked about it before, and I really hate that idea of the the It's About Time Oscar campaign. I mean, the most recent It's About Time campaign we really saw was Glenn Close for The Wife, and, well, we saw that turned out. But, it you know, it does happen, and that... It's About Time campaign is essentially what won Gary Oldman his Darkest Hour Oscar. Um, you know, it's not a very remembered fondly win uh, over the years. You know, some people definitely have Kaluuya for Get Out. You know, we had Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. I think we, right? We did. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. We've done a lot of these. Um and, you know, so that definitely played into his Darkest Hour win. So I actually wonder if this would have played into his Mank win had he not won for Darkest Hour. I mean, I could definitely see it happening. But if we're looking at the lineup as is with the Bozeman Death Train campaign and everything else going on, I honestly don't know. But I definitely think if he to answer Kara's question directly... I definitely think it would have upped him to a possible upset, definitely. Um, but you never know. I I see all that. The thing that I'm stuck on here 
with the whole like it's about time narrative is usually when someone has um it's about time as their narrative usually the performance itself is at least being talked about whether you know it's the best thing they've ever done or not um i don't recall really anyone praising oldman specifically when it came to the the reviews of this film like it was all about the technical stuff and sometimes cipher it i don't really recall anyone like praising oldman to the moon and back so i don't really know if that would have been working in his favor of course we don't know any of this it's all speculation and conjecture but perhaps he would have had a little boost had he still been winless at this point but i don't think anyone was enough in love with this performance to give it to him for this one if that makes sense yeah definitely i mean i i hear that and then i'm trying to remember back to darkest hour was anyone like signaling out his performance then or was it just the instant this is gary oldman's moment i don't remember i i think there was so talking about the normies um that is a film that I had a lot of family members asking me if I had seen because they were in awe of Gary Oldman. So um, I think that is one where, like, for a lot of people, Oldman was the best thing about that movie. It was, like, the thing that was making the movie even somewhat relevant. Um, you know, it's one of those very loud, bombastic, transformative, prosthetic, heavy performances that wow a very large group of people. And um, I feel like people were talking about him a little bit more with that one than they were with Mank. I don't remember. I just try to... Uh, the Darkest Hour was one of the few films I actually... One of the only... The only time I ever fell asleep in a movie theater. So I don't really remember. Yeah. Wasn't a big fan myself either. <laughs> LOL at that Best Picture nomination. Ah! All right. Anything else? No. All right, moving on to Chadwick Boseman as Levy in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. This is his sole nomination, as this is his, uh, a posthumous nomination. Going to Oscar night, he wins Golden Globe, Actor and Drama, Critics' Choice win, LA Film Critics Association win, and SAG win for Best Actor. He has nominations, though, from BAFTA, Independent Spirit Award, National Society of Critics, and a second SAG nomination for Cast. In Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, again, Chadwick Boseman plays the lead, Levy, and this is the story about him showing up to record in a backup band and really wanting to branch out, not being in the shadows, trying to get his music out there and his story and his life through his words, and it ends up pretty tragically. Um, so, Brandon, what are your thoughts on Bozeman as Levy in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I think Bozeman is really good in this movie. Um, Levy is, I think, a very difficult character to play. Um, there is a lot going on with this character in his mind, um, in the time and place where he's living and trying to thrive and make something of himself and all the struggles that come along the way. This is a very tortured soul um, that we're seeing on screen who is so close to making it. 
but he can't quite get there for a number of reasons. He's someone who is immensely talented, uh, Levy, but he doesn't have the training and the mentorship that is oftentimes required to getting you to that next level. And he's understandably um, angry about all that and angry about all the things he has to deal with in life that a lot of other people don't have to. He has to work 10 times as hard to get half as far as so many others. And I think that all resonates um, through Bozeman's performance. Um, this is one of those roles that I think without a lot of care and um, preparation could just be a, a bunch of sound and fury signifying nothing. But I don't get that from Bozeman. Um, I think he's really creating something special with this performance. But a lot of people are not willing to give it that level of attention or that sort of focus because of what happened in real life. And um, things took a turn and some, um, I don't even know what to say about it, some some discussions happened that I think are unfair and um, take away from what from the work that Bozeman was actually doing. And um, I, I think it is a wonderful performance. And uh, I think he would have been nominated regardless, um, even if he were still with us today, because I think he is doing something um, fantastic in the film. And there's obviously a love for him within the industry. And this was a side of him that a lot of movie-going audiences um, had not seen before. And it was a pretty accessible film, given, you know, the Netflix of it all. Um, and he had, he's an actor who had, you know, earned his stripes, so to speak, in the theater world. But, you know, a lot of people didn't know that until um, toward the end of his life. And uh, I really dig it. Um, I think for what it is, it's very good. So I would agree with you for what it is. It's really good. And that's no Tino shade because I don't mind this performance. This is th this, this film. I think I'd be interested to see it on the stage. I think it would work better as a play. And I know we've just started this like August Wilson cinematic universe. So it'll be, I, I'm, you know, I'm always interested to see how, you know, you could take a certain play and make it into a film. My biggest gripe with this is that Bozeman is acting like he's on stage. He is playing for the back of the audience, you know, or the back of the theater. And the biggest thing that I put towards that is specifically that scene where I think it's him and the band, they're arguing. And he's like, you don't know Levy. You don't know what Levy's been through. He is really acting for the back of the room. That that's what you his that type of acting, and this is coming from someone who came from the theater, is the type of acting you see on stage. That he really dialing it back. I really wish I, I don't even know who directed this movie. Um, who who the fuck was it? George C. Wolf. I really wish Wolf would have reined him in on that because it's a 
little cringeworthy for the for 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 film, but everything else around that is really solid. Um, I really hate and I really hate that they did this, but I'm glad it backfired and backfired in their face that Netflix really campaigned his death for this and made it all about his death and tried to cash in on it because fuck them. That is not something you should ever fucking do. And I don't understand why people fell for that. And that's why I'm like, I'm glad it backfired because it's, it's a prime example of what I've talked about since day one on this show is that it needs to be about the performance and not the politics and it's what Monique mentioned in her speech, and it's what we've talked about forever, because the political aspect really bit them in the ass. And that's not fair to Chadwick. It's not fair to his legacy. It's not fair to what he's doing here. It's not fair to the film. And it was blatantly disgusting. But I'm disgusted at the fact, too, that people fell for it and still champion that. Well, it's his last one. He's got to win. It's his last one. It's not, that doesn't fucking matter to me. Did the performance earn it? Yes or no? But as the performance, I think he's doing good work. I just wish that uh, Wolf would have dialed him back a bit. But that's my only complaint about it. I think it's solid. When it comes to, you know, the conversations surrounding the real life events um, that occurred in his death, I stayed out of it for the most part almost entirely um, because I found that a lot of the conversations um, – became sort of rude and disrespectful pretty quickly, and certain people occasionally took it to a vile area, and it was kind of like the equivalent of, like, the promising young woman shit on the other side of the aisle. Like, there was, like, the Chadwick stuff and the Carrie stuff, and I was like, get me as far away from that shit as possible. I think both performances are good, but I do not want to be having this conversation. Um, When it comes to, like, the theatricality of the performance. I don't mind it in this film, given what we were given, um, because George C. Wolfe's direction of the film is not super dynamic, and it's not the most cinematic adaptation of a play. Um, so I, I'm i okay with um, the bigness of it all. Um, I mean, I've said on previous episodes that I don't mind Uh, when a movie feels like a play um, in the way that other people seem to have an issue, it's fine for me. Um, I think if George Seawolf had, you know, made it more quote-unquote cinematic, whatever that means, then the performance as we were given it would stand out in a weird way and not really work. But given what we're given, it's fine. Um... If it had been more cinematic, then, of course, Bozeman would have to adapt to that um, in order for it to keep working. But here, I'm okay with it. Um, I think the performance is solid, um, and, you know, it's too bad we're not going to get more from him because, you know, I'm really curious what that what that would have been moving forward if he would have been a part of the century cycle um, on screen and other roles or, if, you know... Or, or, or what else he would have done beyond the uh, the MCU, but um, but yeah, I think he's good, and it's too bad that some some conversations about this movie and his life uh, chipped away at the work that he's he's doing. I mean, we can 
we can say that the that the Oscar should go to the best performance period, and that's the be all end all. But they've never really been that, and they never really will be. That's just what the Academy is. That's sort of the nature of that beast. So we can, um, you know, say whatever we will and give the wins to whoever we will based on how we feel. But um, real life issues, political issues, controversies, uh, scandals and gossip and et cetera, et cetera, are always going to factor in. And that's an unfortunate facet to this whole thing. And um, it got real ugly when it came to this particular nomination, which I think does a disservice to Bozeman and um, what he was able to accomplish in his lifetime. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we have a question from Gabe. What's up, Gabe? If Ma Rainey's Black Bottom had been nominated for Best Picture, would Chaz- Chadwick Bozeman won Best Actor? Because there is that saying, and I actually just tweeted about it the other day with this whole idea of Jalizia winning in 2018 for Roma, uh, which I loved your response to, by the way, um, that in order to win the lead categories now, you practically have to also have a Best Picture nomination. So I'm guessing that's what he's meaning here. So, Brandon. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of nuance that goes into these sort of things. Um, does someone need their film to be in Best Picture to win? No, there's plenty of examples of that not happening. And um, there's plenty of examples where an actor will have their film in Best Picture and they lose. Um, there is no, you know, be-all, end-all case for this sort of thing. Um, what does having a film in Best Picture mean? It probably means you're one of the more watched films by voters. I would imagine that a film in Best Picture is going to be watched more than a film that is not. Or that made no sense. Uh Voters are more likely to prioritize the films nominated in Best Picture, is what I mean. So, be that as it may, does that give someone a leg up over someone whose film is not in Best Picture? Maybe. Uh, But every year is different. Every campaign is different. Um, There are feelings about the actors in question beyond their films, as we just mentioned. All sorts of factors play into these things. So... um, Perhaps uh, Ma Rainey being in Best Picture might have compelled some people to watch it um, who did not watch it prior or without the nomination. And I don't know, maybe the race could have been closer. Maybe he could have edged out Hopkins. Who knows? Nobody knows anything. Um, But to answer the question, would it have propelled him to the win? Maybe, but probably not is what I'm saying. I echo everything you just said. So you answered for both of us. (laughs) With that said, moving on. Steven Yun as Jacob in Minari. This is his sole nomination thus far. Um, Going into Oscar night, he has Critics' Choice, Spirit uh, Award, and two SAG nominations. One for actor, one for cast. The other two, obviously, for actor. And... In Minari, again, Stephen plays Jacob, who is the father of this family who moves his family from California to Arkansas to start farming and start a new life And uh, in the 1980s and um, essentially uh, get themselves adapted to this new lifestyle of living. And uh, he tries to be prosperous for his family by leading them this way. So, uh, Brandon, what are your thoughts on Stephen Young as Jacob in Minari? 
I really like this performance. Um, I'm also a big fan of this film. I I really like how dialed in this performance is. Um, he gives me a very similar feeling that I received from Paul Racy. Um, this performance, it feels like Stephen Yoon is very connected to this character. It feels like this character means a lot to him, that the that the story being as authentic as possible means a lot to him, and ultimately the success of the film means a lot to him. And for me, that really um, radiates from him uh, with every word and mannerism. Um, there's a real down-to-earth nature to this character. And, you know, I don't just mean that because he's farming. Um, there's, you know, it doesn't feel selfish. You know, sometimes in films, a lot of times with these, like, best actor nominations, there's this tendency to sometimes, you know, hog the spotlight or to showcase yourself in some sort of way in order to, you know, validate your your nominations or your potential um, award season prospects. I don't really get that from this performance. Um, it, it, it feels to me like Steven Yeun is more interested in the work and the character than he is um, what, the, what the work may lead to later on after the filming has stopped. And, you know, maybe he never thought he would receive recognition given how small the film was, how little assistance they got from the celebrity who runs the, the company that produced it. Uh, shout out to that shade um, at all the award shows. And, you know, there, there's a certain sadness to that, but I think it perhaps adds to the struggle um, that we're watching on screen. Um, this father is really trying. Um, this is a guy who took a big risk, moved his family halfway across the world on not so much a whim, but um, on a challenge to create something better for themselves in this supposed land of opportunities. And I, I really dig the, I guess, the authenticity of this performance. I know that's a word that people seem to be mocking a lot in film criticism, and I get it. But there seems to be something really honest about this performance. And um, I really like it. So I'm not huge on this movie. Um, this is just a movie that's very much okay in my book. Um, you know, I do have a soft spot for Yun Jun Young, who very happy that she won. I think she is the shining star of this movie, um, the bright light. And of course, we'll never look at Mountain Dew the same way again. Um, it actually took a second watching of this movie for me to really appreciate what Steven's doing here. Um, there's this real... There's this real uh, fragileness to this man who wants nothing but the best for his family that he knows in the back of his mind 
that they can do this and that there is a very good chance of them succeeding. But the reality of them going broke and not being able to support each other while, you know, he has this idea and it's the time that period that this movie's in of um, the 80s where the man of the house and yada, 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 you know, that whole stereotype. And, you know, that's just the way he was brought up. And he's really showing that, like, he's trying not to crack and you're watching him slowly crack. This is a film, I'm sorry, this is a performance while, yeah, he's got some big shoddy moments, but it is pretty subtle. And a lot of his acting is in his emotion and his body language. And I really caught on to that with a second viewing. Um, I think this is really great work. And I like this a lot better than when I had watched it the first time. Um, so I love that he got a nomination for this. Um, but like I said, the film as a whole is just very, very much like I think I've seen this before. You know what I mean? It's, it's not it's, it's a familiar story, I guess, is what I want to say. I can see where you're coming from, but I think it is there is a certain original quality to it, given the context and um, giving us this view into a certain type of immigrant in this very specific place and time in America. So it it does offer some new light on that very specific struggle. So um, I see where you're coming from, but I guess I, I do see something unique um, about this film. And I can understand why this is definitely like a cup of tea sort of movie, how some people will completely dig it and resonate with it and vibe like I did and how some people it's just simply not their thing and it never really grabs them and I get that too no movie is gonna please everyone and um, especially a movie as as quiet and unassuming as Minari is um, definitely gonna have its its uh, proponents and its naysayers so um, I am definitely a proponent of so I get it. And there you have it. Um, moving on to our next nominee, we have Anthony Hopkins as Anthony in The Father. This is his sixth of six nominations and his second win, his first time winning since uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is his first win. Um, so going into Oscar night, Golden Globe nomination for actor in a drama, a Critics Choice nomination for actor and a SAG nomination for actor. He wins a BAFTA for best actor in The Father. Again, Anthony Hopkins plays Anthony. And this is the story of a man who is suffering from dementia, living with his daughter and eventually realizing that he has succumbed to a whole new level of this disease than he originally thought because we're watching the movie from his perspective and as an audience we don't even realize that until the end twist so brandon let's dive into it you know it was coming i knew it was coming here it is thoughts i love this performance this was my first motion picture back at the cinema um in a I guess I, w I can't say a post-COVID world. We're definitely still very much in it. But it was my first, you know, 
time back at the movies in over a year. Uh, I went by myself to a little matinee back when we still lived in Maryland. I decided to treat myself. And um, I was just glued uh, to my seat and to the screen because this is just a master class in acting that we're watching on screen with Anthony Hopkins, who has had a decades-long career. And given the dozens of performances that he's given us on film over the years, this is a crowning achievement for him. Um, I think it might be his best performance. I, of course, have not seen everything he's done, but um, this is definitely up there. It's one of those performances that just completely engulfs you. A lot of that has to do with the film itself. Like I mentioned how, love it or hate it, Bozeman's performance matches George C. Wolfe's direction. Here, that's also the same in the complete opposite direction. Uh, Because Florian Zeller is directing the fuck out of this movie. And the production design and the cinematography and the editing and the costume design and everything is going into this film to make it work. There is not one mistake being made on screen. And what I mean by that is there is a conscious choice being made about every little teeny tiny detail. And all of that adds up to what we see on screen um, channeled through Anthony Hopkins, um, who is just on another level. Like this is this is like leave Ullman in face to face levels of intensity for me. Like I felt concerned that that he might not recover from this movie while I was watching it. But of course, you know, I follow him on social media because he has the most wholesome and occasionally delightfully chaotic social media account. So I knew he was fine. But watching it in the theater by myself with like four other people who were also by themselves, it was kind of cute. It was like me and like four middle-aged men all just watching this this film called The Father um, individually, but together, alone yet not alone, if you will. I... I was just in awe of everything I was seeing on screen. Yeah, it's simply one of the the best performances of the year, if not, you know, the best. It's certainly up there. Alone yet not alone, that was it. That was adorable, the way you just described that. Speaking of wholesome, look at you. Um, What a year for dementia films with... This and Sophia Loren, like, what a theme the Oscars could have been going for. And I had seen this and then saw it with my cousin in theaters. She had not seen it. Um, And that was actually also my big return to the theater, Um, seeing it on the big screen. Uh, probably a week before the Academy Awards, actually. And, you know, it's no shock that I have had a personal connection to this type of story. I've talked about it before. This one, like Sophia Loren, just fucking killed me. Um, 
seeing I don't know if I've ever talked about this actually. Um there was a moment watching this movie with um the scene where Olivia Coleman's um husband, boyfriend, who the fuck that dude was supposed to be, hits Anthony and my blood boiled. And I got re- I started crying at that because I remember when my grandmother first was going through it and it was, you know, it was, it was, it's really hard. And I remember she was in the kitchen and she was getting something out of the drawer and I was just walking into the kitchen and I must've scared her because she like backed up and got really scared. And I'll never forget the look on her face as she got scared of me. And I, my heart broke. And then I remember watching that scene and seeing that obviously it did not hit my grandmother. I'm not, never would have, never could have, but the reaction to Anthony getting hit was the reaction she had to me. And that was hard. And this movie just fucked my world up. And it, is a movie I had a personal connection with. The performance is beautiful. It is, this is a fucking horror movie. And I think we mentioned that uh, when we talked about Olivia Coleman. And Hopkins is on a whole other level. And, you know, we talked about Bozeman and how it, it was the prime example of the politics but this win is the prime example of the performance and the performance over politics. And this win did not deserve the hate it got from the the uh, the political aspect of what had happened this year. This was and is a revelation. And Hopkins, I agree with you, is very much like the... Um, Excuse me, sorry. It's very much like the uh, the live omen, <laughs> you sure he's alive type thing, which still that cracks me up. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is one that has haunted me since I've seen it. It is it goes down in my book as one of the greatest nominated performances and wins. It is just um, it's beautiful, and I. I can't wait to see this cinematic universe of Florian Zeller that he's bringing to the, to the, to the, to the forefront. Um, I'm very excited. I think the next one is the sun. And then I know, I think he did something called the mother with Isabelle Huppert. So like, let's get her in that movie version. I'm just burning it. Um, this is gorgeous. And I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I do too. Um, Regarding the people who had any sort of issue with the win, I'm not paying them any mind. Um, I'm just I'm just moving on. Not that I was ever really a part of that that discourse anyway, um, because I think this is um, a beautiful performance. Um, when when he is abused, uh, when he is slapped, as you mentioned, I think I stopped breathing for like two minutes like I was not prepared for that and 
Hopkins' reaction to it. Um, I was I I was there like with him. Like I felt like I had like just been transported into the film, but I had no power to stop what was happening. It was it was a very strange feeling that I've seldom felt before while watching a movie. And then you know later on his um I've lost my leaves moment that like that phrasing is so poetic and could feel very phony or hokey very easily from another performer. But Hopkins, I think, really channels it well. There's like a Shakespearean quality to it, but in a very approachable sort of way. And it it just heightens everything that's going on in that moment. Like when he's crying out for his mother, who we know is long gone. But to him, she's still very much alive and nearby and capable of rescuing him from this very scary place that he doesn't understand. This is absolutely a horror film. It might not read as one on first glance. It might not always look like one, but given how the subject matter is explored in this very heightened, uh, formal way, it's, it is absolutely terrifying. And it's a fabulous film um, with a phenomenal performance at its, uh, at its center. So I, I really dig this one just across the board. We have uh, two questions on this, but I, I'm going to raise a question for you because this is always a fun a fun game to play. Um, I think this is one of those performances where no one else could have played this role. But if you could have seen anyone else in it, who would you cast? I would like to go first. I'll give you a second to, to think of it. I actually could think of three. And I mentioned this actually, I think at some point during the uh, the, the season, I would have loved to see Jack Nicholson return as like a farewell performance with this. I I really would be interested in seeing a Jack Nicholson version of the father. I think that would be great. Um, I also down the line when he becomes of age for the role, I could have seen Daniel Day. Um, also think that would have been really, really great. Um, there's just something obviously about DDL that I think everyone can get on board with. And then I honestly, I, I don't think he would be old enough yet. In fact, there's no fucking way he's old enough yet. But um, I also would be very interested in a Denzel Washington version of The Father. I don't know. I just think he would work really, really well with this as well. So that's who I would put forward. What about you? I'm interested in the idea of all of those actors. I'd be very curious to see how things would change with either one of them in the role. Um, for some reason, the first person I thought of when you posed the question is Albert Finney. Um, I think he would have brought something very interesting to the role. Um, someone else who is no longer with us, but you know, in a hypothetical scenario where 
he's able to play it today or the movie is made back when he was the age, etc. Is Peter O'Toole. I'd be very interested in what Peter O'Toole would have done with this material. Um, so those are the first two actors that came to mind when you brought up the question. I don't know why I really thought you were going to say Richard Harris when you were like, if he was, you know, alive back mm. in the um, I, I, Peter O'Toole actually surprised me. I would have never thought of him. Michael Caine. Maybe. Honestly, now that I said that a lot, I don't know if I could see him in this role. Um, and that's no, 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 that's no Tino shade. Um, all right. So, ba, 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 ba. Ryan McQuaid. What's up, bro? Is Hopkins in The Father the best performance of his career and an all-time best actor win? Also, I forgot to bring this question up earlier. Who is the real lead of Judas? Um, you know, I'm... I think I'm prepared to say that it's the best nomination of Hopkins, um, of his nominations. Uh, previously, that went to The Remains of the Day for me. Um, I think he is incredible in that film that I think requires um, one or two or two or three um, watches to really dig deep with that performance and everything he's putting into it and all the factors that are going into the, what makes that character so tragic um but here in the father this is just an absolute tour de force and um everything is is working in that film to elevate him and he elevates the film and it's just it, it just works uh in every way so i think the father is probably my favorite of his nominations and i think my favorite performance of, of his period even roping in the ones that he was not nominated for um, when it comes to Judas, I guess if I had to pick one, I lean more toward the Lakeith Stanfield part. Um, just because, you know, he's sort of the POV most of the time, and it's sort of through that um, coercing blackmail, whatever you want to call it, um, that gets him into the story, and that's kind of how we're going about this plot so i guess if i had to pick one i would say um bill o'neill is the primary lead of the film i guess yes on hopkins's best nomination and according to the academy the car is the lead in judas and the black messiah oh okay so there's that okay all right, moving on to our final nominee is Riz Ahmed as Ruben Stone in The Sound of Metal. This is his sole nomination thus far. Um, going into Oscar night, he has no huge wins. Um, Golden Globe nomination for Action and Drama, BAFTA nomination, Critics' Choice, wins at the Independent Spirit Award. Um, in The Sound of Metal, again, Riz plays Ruben, who is a drummer in a metal band who goes deaf and has to completely... Um, learn how to live this new life and the ups and downs of what comes with that. So, um, Brandon, what are your thoughts of Riz as Ruben in The Sound of Metal? I think this is a fantastic performance. The lead actor lineup as a whole is so much better than the supporting lineup for me. Um, I get so much more out of uh, most of these performances, and Riz seems so in tune with what's going on in this film 
Um, you know, I had mentioned with Paul Racy how there is um, a, a certain technical aesthetic um, going on in this film with the the way the the camera and the sound is sort of manipulated to um, put the audience in the place of the protagonist, or as you know, best we can. Um, some people say it's a gimmick, um, and they're not entirely wrong, but I think it's a gimmick that works. Um, and I think it helps to, to elevate his performance. Um, it, I, I find it um, hard to believe that someone cannot relate to this character because of how the story is told. Um, if if um, the direction had not been as dynamic as it was, I could see how there might be a certain barrier, um, a certain inaccessibility for some people who uh, might have a hard time empathizing or um, purposefully putting themselves in the place of the character. But I think the movie does a lot of that work for you, and I think it comes together pretty well. I think this character's frustrations and his fears and anxieties and insecurities really come through here. This is, you know, a musician who has been put in a place that uh, is unimaginable for someone like him. Basically, you know, without his sense of hearing, uh, it, it makes it very difficult to 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 continue with uh, his career and his passions. And just when things were taking off for him, suddenly it feels like everything has been taken away. And I think Riz Ahmed really brings that to life. I, am, I, I get why this is a lot of people's winner here, uh, because he is doing quite well. And he his performance marries the direction quite seamlessly. So um, I think this is um, definitely a powerful performance that is that is supported wholeheartedly by the film itself. Like I said earlier, Sound of Metal is not a film that I was like very keen on going into Oscar night. Didn't really get it. Not really my thing. Um, yeah, but Riz Ahmed is the clear standout for me. Um, this is a performance where it is showy in moments, but it is very much a whole body, emotional, subtle performance. And I really appreciate what he's doing and how he's putting forth Ruben's adjustments. Um, there's something obviously very tragic about the whole thing, but there's something very tragic in when he's not saying anything like the biggest scene that stands out for me with what he's doing is after he gets surgery and he realizes that it's probably been a big mistake and we hear this and he's sitting in paris he's sitting in that park and he takes out the the hearing aids and he just watches and what he's watching is what we're experiencing as the audience member because we're experiencing this in his eyes is silence and how do you react to something like that? How do you go from 30 years of listening and hearing to your whole world essentially crumbling because you lose your you, you lose your 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 uh, ability to hear, and then you have to adjust to sign language and a whole new language and way of living. But then you get this opportunity to do the surgery, and it's nothing 
like what you expected it to be. And it's probably worse than what it was just not to be able to hear at all. And he finally finds peace within his situation and, and himself and to emote all of that with a look is breathtaking. And Riz definitely earned this nomination. It is the best thing for me in that about this film. And it is just a fucking wonder what he was able to do. Because this is not a role that just any actor could have done. This is not a role that could have just been played by anyone. You really had to find someone really special. And I love that Riz did this. I think it's a great nomination. It's so good. Um, our last three questions here kind of all go hand in hand. So I'm just going to go over them really quick. You'll get the idea from Matthew Anderson, from Tim B and Andre Souza. Um, Andre started with, why do you think Delroy Lindo was snubbed and would you have nominated him? Tim B goes, were there any co-stars of these men that you thought should have received a nomination but didn't? For him, it's Glenn Truman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And then Matthew said, besides Gary Oldman, so you can't say Gary Oldman, would you have replaced any of the lead actor nominees with someone else or kept that lineup the same? Um, well, if I was going to add anyone in, it would be Delroy Lindo. Um, I feel like that's like the snub of the year in this particular category. Um, there's a couple of people I think would be fine if he had replaced. Um, I like it as it is, since Oldman's, you know, not an option here. He's the obvious choice, you know, to get to get booted. But um, I suppose if it's Delroy Lindo doing the replacing, there's a couple of people here I would be okay with it happening to. Uh, yeah, as a whole, I would say Delroy Lindo. Um, if Delroy Lindo was in this lineup, he would be my winner, hands down. Um, so yes, I would have nominated him. Um, co-stars of the men. Uh, no. Well, well, I guess, I guess for Sasha Baron Cohen, if I was nominating co-stars from the Trials Channel 7, like I said, it would have been Michael Keaton or Frank Langella. And then besides Gary Oldman, I guess you'll have to wait and find out, but I would put Delroy Lindo in there. Yeah. So that's it. Okay. Those are all the questions. Those are it. Yep. Okay. So I guess, uh. We'll jump over into the uh, the ranking portion. Um, as a refresher, your nominees in the category of Best Supporting Actor were Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, dot, 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 Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Paul Racy in The Sound of Metal. I'm going to put Daniel Kaluuya at number five um, for Judas and the Black Messiah. It's, you know, one of the cases of category fraud here. And um, the one that I suppose, even though it's as powerful as it is, it's the one that I find less interesting. So um, Kaluuya is number five for, uh, you know, those reasons. Daniel Kaluuya is also my number five um, out of the category fraud uh, guys here. He is kind of the least impressive but he is impressive but you know take that for what you want um but yeah Kaluuya is at five next i'm putting lakeith stanfield 
um, because he's also category fraud in my opinion. I'm more interested in what he's doing here. Um, so he was able to edge out Kaluuya in that way. And I don't, even though I think Stanfield is probably slightly more lead than Kaluuya, it's not so obvious that I'm willing to make him five just for being more fraudulent. It's even enough in that regard. And um, since I just find the performance more interesting, that's why he's my number four. Same. Like Keith Stanfield, number uh, four, I think he is doing better than Kaluuya. Um, but he has no business like Kluya being in this category, so he's at four. I'm putting Sasha Baron Cohen at um, number three for Trial of Chicago 7. Um, this is nowhere near as good as Sasha Baron Cohen can be. I think he is hindered by who he's working with, and it's ultimately just not that interesting of a performance for me. Um, so yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen at three. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. goes in at three. Uh, let's just be honest. For me, none of these guys from that film should be there. The film in general shouldn't be at the Oscars. And uh, I guess for me, he's just lucky that Chloe and Stanfield are such category frauds because he'd be at five. So there it is. I think Leslie Odom Jr. is pretty good in One Night in Miami. That's why he's my number two. Um, I don't dislike the film quite as much, and I think he is um, definitely showcasing himself in his own unique way in this film. And I don't mind him being in supporting um, so long as, you know, everyone's on the same level in that film. I feel like they're either all supporting or they're all lead, and there's only four of them, and I don't It's fine. Um, Paul Racy is going to be my number one here. I think he gives um, a lovely performance, um, very lived in, in his very own unique way, in a way that I don't think we really see very often, given how connected to this type of um, person he actually is in real life. And um, he brings a lot of um, pathos and sincerity to it. I totally believe that Joe is a real person, and um, that's the magic of Paul Racy, and I really dig the juxtaposition between his performance and the way the movie is told. It kind of makes his performance even more special for me. So um, he's my uh, supporting actor of this lineup. So I wasn't sure if I was going to do what I'm about to do, like I had mentioned in the beginning of the episode, because I had said, I don't know if it, it would be fair. Um, I'd never done this before, but like talking about these guys and this lineup really just kind of solidified what I want to do here. Um, I have a tie, but it is a tie for second place between Paul Racy and Sasha Baron Cohen. I cannot give a single Oscar to any of these men. Not one of them deserved it. Um, this is probably the first time for me in the show where I have not even been able to just like gun to head pick someone because they're all just so equally not good, in my opinion, for an Oscar win. Um, I really struggled last year with finding a single sing supporting actor performance outside of Jared Leto. Jared Leto fucking blew there like he really should be here he should have won this I, fuck it i'll put jared Leto. I, I you know i don't care i just i can't fathom giving any of these guys an oscar win 
it just doesn't work for me. Um, you know, I had compared this lineup to 1986 with like not really liking any of them, but at least with Tess Harper, like I could maybe understand a win because of the her comedy level here. There just isn't a singular performance in this lineup that I can give an Oscar to. It, it, it for me, it wouldn't be fair. So no one wins this category. This is an unwinnable category for me this year. That was going to be my guess when you said you were going to do something you'd never done before. I was like, oh, is it going to be a five-way tie for last? But I decided to not say anything because I didn't want to spoil what you might ultimately decide. But I had a feeling that's where that was going. Yeah, they're just yeah, – I'll just say it. I'm putting Jared Leto at one. I, don't, I know I put him at one for the should have been, but they're, last year had zero supporting actors who – should have been nominated in my opinion outside of leto i and i remember tweeting about that around the end of december to or early january when i had seen the little things i was like there has not been a singular performance this year in supporting actor who could actually in my opinion deserve a nomination and i'm sticking with it it just last year was not good for supporting actors so there it is people sorry if you guessed someone else it's just not happening for me um moving on okay all right. As a reminder, your nominees for lead actor in a support, lead actor in a supporting role, lead. Well, pretty much that was last year. Um, but your nominees for lead actor were Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Stephen Yun for Minari, Gary Oldman for Mank, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, and Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. My number five is actually Stephen Yun because here is a category fraud performance. I know some people, most people, would actually disagree with this. But Minari is about the family as a whole. It is not a certain character. It is not a certain character story. This is not a film that has six leads. This is a story about the family. The family, the word family, I say, I would say, is the lead. Each character, though, is bringing in their own personal take on what is happening around them. Steven Yun is, like everyone else, Alan Kim, Yun Jun Yun, supporting here um this is an ensemble piece i love yun in this but this is nowhere near a lead role so i gotta put him at five and that kind of hurts so i gotta put him there five um probably no surprise i'm putting gary old man at number five for mank uh, it's just not a performance that resonates with me on any level and um this really should have been delroy lindo's spot so gary is dead last well, Gary is fourth for me, and he's, I guess, just lucky that Yun is in the wrong category. But, yeah, oof, what a nomination. Steven Yun is uh, number four for me. I don't see this as an ensemble. I think the film has three leads and um, a supporting cast beneath it. And I think he's doing some really beautiful work here. Um, really, really... Um, sincere stuff going on with him and i kind of feel it through the screen but um, i guess i'm just more fascinated by um the other three so um steven is my number four um number three for me is chadwick boseman um while he's good here and has moments he really should have been directed to dial that back because he is playing for the back of the room um so it's it's, it's a good nomination but it's nowhere near a win for me so Number three. Chadwick Boseman's also my number four. Um, I don't mind how big he is for reasons I stated previously. I think he matches what the film is doing. 
and I'm not going to fault him for that. Um, and uh, I think he would have been here regardless of what happened in his life. I think it's um, dismissive and kind of rude to say he's only here because, you know, he died. I know there's some people online who seem to think that was, you know, the only factor that got him to this lineup. I think that's a uh, kind of disrespectful because I think he is doing some really beautiful stuff here. Um, it's just not um, in in my top two. So um, Chadwick Boseman's my number three. Um, runner up is Riz Ahmed, meaning I'm giving Anthony Hopkins the win. There should be no surprise there. Regarding Riz, again, I can't state enough how much of a um, of a feat it was to do this with mainly uh, his body, uh, his emoting more than just his line delivery. I mean, it is fantastic, but Hopkins is on levels above every man here. I mean, it is a roller coaster of a movie. And finally, I can say thank you to the Academy for making it about the performance and not the politics, because this is the prime example that they can do it and they should do it more often. So Anthony Hopkins, fucking A, you've won. Riz Ahmed's my runner up here. Um, it's kind of funny with Sound of Metal and The Father. You have two movies that are very directed and two performances that are very um, channeled through that direction, but also guide the direction. Um, so in another year, it's very possible that Riz Ahmed would be my winner because I think he is delivering a powerhouse, thrilling performance that um, tackles a lot of stuff and it certainly leaves you feeling something when it's over. But um, Anthony Hopkins in The Father is just on another level. This might be, I haven't seen all the best actor winners, but I would say this is solidly in the top 10 ever, maybe top five, I don't know. I was completely blown away by this. I was already a fan of Anthony Hopkins. I was going into this movie with very high hopes and they were met. Uh, Hopkins did everything that needed to be done and um, he absolutely deserved this. So I'm gonna agree with the Academy here. And with a review, I give Anthony Hopkins the win in lead and no one in supporting. <laughs> And I have Hopkins in lead and Racy in supporting. There you go. The men of 2020. It happened. It happened. We are caught up and officially on the road to our farewell season. Yes, we are done officially with this year. <laughs> we can we can put 2020 slash, I guess, the first two months of 2021 given the extension to we can we can put it to bed oh god that extension was so stupid it really was oh god do you remember when they tried to put cherry and make cherry a thing that was fun i never watched that you know i will say cherry should have had a win for one thing and it was the greatest score of that film season and it didn't even get a nomination mm. Boo. but that's it okay so anyway, well, guys, we'll see you down the road. Um, like we said, the farewell season is coming. It'll be spread out across a couple of months. So you're not going to get it weekly like we did our regular seasons. And um, stick with us on Twitter. 
keep it going. And um, yeah, we'll be back. I don't want to say coming soon, but it is coming. Yeah, it's down the road. We will we'll, we'll announce when that when when, it, when we're gonna release it. So don't worry. Um, all right, all right. Well, on the count of three, let's bid farewell um, to this fucking year and the men of 2020. Ready? One, two, three. Farewell. Fuck off, 2020. <laughs>